is Anusha Ghosh, and you're listening to the Seeking Refuge podcast. Today, I am here with Diana Clark and Emily Jensen. We will be discussing Borders South, which is a documentary that highlights the struggles of migrants from South America to the U.S. border. We have already discussed this documentary in a past episode. We actually are able to interview one of the co-producers of the documentary. The episode is titled, A Discussion of Hostile Terrain with John Durgan White. Now to talk about why we are recording um, another episode about this documentary. It is because we wanted to watch this documentary again and view it from a perspective of the role of the South in these migrant issues as well as in maintaining the U.S.-Mexico border. We highly recommend that anyone who has the ability to do so to buy the documentary and to watch it on Amazon Prime. It costs around $3 and it is supporting a good cause. So Emily, as as we just watched, we saw that this documentary mainly centered around the story of one migrant. His name is Gustavo. Can you give a short summary of his story? Yeah, so when we first meet Gustavo, who is a migrant from Nicaragua, he has been shot by a train patrol of La Bestia, when traveling from Nicaragua to the US. Um, This happens while he is in Mexico. And so when we meet him, he is living and healing in a migrant shelter. When this happened, there was a lot of local news coverage and immediately politicians showed up in support of his case. One Mexican congressman in particular wanted to give him a Mexican humanitarian aid visa. Eventually, this does work out. He gets his visa and he goes to a session where congressmen and politicians dedicate it to sharing his story and um, showing the success of him getting this visa. Throughout that process, we see him subjected to lots of news outlets asking for his story. And for the most part, it's being told by the politicians, not Gustavo himself. We see him working with um, this humanitarian visa in Mexico. We see him struggling to earn money and working very hard to do his best to support himself. And nearly a year later, he loses his humanitarian visa right when he is at the border of the US and Mexico. So nearly a year after getting the humanitarian visa, he goes to Guatemala with his girlfriend, be with her children. We highly encourage you to watch the documentary, to hear his story in his words, and to see more of his story. And that's, um, that's, a, that's a really good way to put his story. But like again, um, obviously, just as Emily said, we highly encourage anyone to watch the documentary so you can see it through his words, because obviously it's his story. So I really wanted to open up the floor to just talking about what happened in that session and the way that the documentary portrayed it. What was everyone's thoughts on the way that the session was held, how the politicians kind of kept 
reciting his story um, while he kind of just stood there. And then how um, towards the end of the session, the documentary kind of showed him zoning out and hearing the train tracks again. So what was everyone's thoughts on that? I'll be honest, when I was watching that, it it kind of made me uncomfortable mm-hmm. to like see that situation and like him being the person that we're learning about and we're relating to um, and to kind of like see that struggle of like these people did so much for me and I need to be here but also like feeling like this is all about you but you don't really have a voice to say anything and to contribute while they um, talk about the success story of you getting the visa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think what I noticed as well was the politician kept saying, oh, this is such a win for Gustavo, but in the moment, it doesn't really reflect to me as a win for Gustavo. It's reflecting as a win for the politician and everything that he did. And so that was a little bit unfortunate for me to watch. Right. And it was also interesting, like, you know, the documentary showed after, uh, you know, when he was in Mexico trying to make a living for himself. And it was clear that after that session occurred, that maybe the politicians kind of withdrew from his life. He was forced to make a living for himself without much support um, for his disability that occurred after the gunshot wound. And it, it just kind of felt like once they were able to accomplish that, they kind of left it alone. And maybe it would have been better if they had stayed in his life, continued to give him support. Like they, they said, oh, so you got the visa, like that's enough, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. But that's just like the first step of trying to um, mm-hmm. stay and survive. Right. Yeah, that was, that was really good answers. And then, so the second thing that I wanted to talk about was the unique position of the South in um, situations like this. As we know, the, the border that we are referring to, the U.S.-Mexico border, is frequently referred to as the southern border, and that's because it resides in the South. That means that the South has the most interaction with migrants trying to seek asylum in the U.S. from the southern border. Thus, they have a unique position and responsibility of either caring um, and providing asylum to these migrants or pushing them away. And so not only did the documentary feature a lot about Gustavo's story, it featured a project by Jason D. Leon, who is a professor and researcher at the University of Michigan and does most of his work in Arizona and the U.S.-Mexico border. His project is called the Undocumented Migration Project. And essentially, um, in this project, he often travels to the Arizona desert, which is where a lot of migrants, once they reach the U.S., leave all of their things and are picked up to start a new life. It's also a location where a lot of migrants, they unfortunately either get sick or pass away because of the trip beyond the mountains that it takes to get to the Arizona desert. And he not only looks for the items that the migrants leave there, but the items of migrants that have um, gone missing or the remains of migrants that may have passed away in that location. So we, we see at quite a bit 
about this project. And I wanted to open the floor of what everyone initially thought about the project. And the first time we saw this project was when it kind of showed a scene in the Arizona desert where Jason is essentially picking up migrants' things and collecting them um, for his lab. So, I guess two of my first reactions were um, one about like, wow, just like the extreme conditions that these migrants are choosing to go through for the hope of a better life. And two, it kind of feels invasive. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that he mentions it later about feeling that it is invasive for him to be going through these people's things, but seeing it almost as a necessary evil of needing to document all of this stuff to have records of how many people are going through these areas to get better data to be able to advocate for them and to try to find things to be able to find different people for certain families. So I guess those were my main like mm-hmm. initial reactions to that mm-hmm. scene. Yeah, and something that I, I guess I just thought of now was that a lot of the items that people are leaving in this area are ones that they've, if they had the choice, were ones that they purposely left behind because they were getting too heavy. So these are, these is, this isn't really like, oh, I've accidentally dropped a quarter and, you know, somebody picked it up. This is like, I purposely discarded this item and had no intention of bringing it with me if the people were fortunate enough to survive and continue. And so it definitely brings an added sense of privacy issues because it's like these were things that people had left behind and now they're bringing it back. But I do agree with the necessary evil that a lot of the times if we didn't have this information, it would just be destroyed by the elements and we would never know. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, and he, he brings up, um, I, I took a few quotes by him because I just found it very interesting how he reacted to the work he was doing. He, um, like Emily said, initially like when we first saw it, they didn't really provide an explanation to what the project was. It just felt as if they were going to the Arizona desert and hiking up the mountains that the migrants need to hike up to reach the location to where they will be picked up, where they'll be able to officially enter the U.S. without any barriers. It just it felt as though he was just collecting items and looking through them without reasoning. But he, he brings this up, and once we find out more about his goals, it becomes clear that it is necessary. And he said that he was not worried about if the items belonged to someone who died, but that it felt invasive to do that, some, to, to scrummage through the items and collect them. And I found that very interesting because it's clear that he doesn't feel as though if a person has died, their identity, their privacy doesn't matter anymore. He feels that that privacy um, and identity still needs to be preserved and that he's more concerned with invading their privacy which, you know, he he does have to do in order to document the items and to be able to identify which migrants have crossed which areas because sometimes that's only identification. And then he brings up specific examples of items that have been so destroyed by the Arizona sun that in his words, he says, in 20 years, this will all be gone. It'll be erased. And I find that interesting because, you know, Sometimes those items are the only things that can provide any means to identify the migrants who have crossed that area. 
And for it to be erased, that means that collecting these items, even though it might be invasive, is critical to preserving the, their identity. Like, it's not just the erasure of the items, it's the erasure of the identity of the person it belonged to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, we could also talk more about um, the scene where he talks about how he found the body of a woman who had died. The way he described it, the woman had been essentially left by the person that was supposed to um, pick her up and that she had been wandering um, for a long time, became sick and eventually died. And that was only after he was able to identify her um, through her clothing items and such. So what was everyone's opinion of the way that he kind of treated her when he found her body? Well, I'd say I think you can you can see like his respect for dignity mm-hmm. again through that of how he immediately like gave her the privacy of covering her body with a, a blanket that they had and that he sat with her for hours um or her body with for hours as other people went to get the sheriff mm-hmm. um, and I think that that is like the most respectful that you could be in that situation of mm-hmm. um, ensuring to the best of your ability that she would be identified in that proper proper processes yeah proper her. processes yeah. Um, would occur and that um, it would be handled and perhaps hopefully her family would be able to be notified yeah I don't really have much to add. I I totally agree with that. And fortunately, her family was identified. And then he talks about how just a little while after, he got a call from the sister-in-law of the woman who did pass away to search for another family member whose name was Jose and 15 years old who had um, attempted to travel to the U.S. to cross the mountains of the Arizona desert to reconnect with his family. Um, who lived in New York. So essentially, um, th- that part of the documentary just kind of follows his processes and uh, hiking the trail multiple times to try and find any clothing item, any identifying substance that would show where um, Jose went. And then it also shows how he visits another administrative office in Arizona to try and find if they have any forensic evidence. So what was everyone's opinion of how that duty was kind of placed on him and how he handled it. I think he handled it very well. I think he did the best that he possibly could um, in going and hiking Mm -hmm. miles in the desert. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it's important to remember that this is not, like, a small area to cover. Mm -hmm. Um, And he spent at least, like, a day or more hiking through the desert to look for him and he went to the administrative office to see if they had any data and to um to ask about how their process worked and to be kept in the loop and gave them um data about him so if they saw something that matched they could reach out um and then going back to his family and like having to communicate that nothing was found and that they don't have any leads but they are looking and that makes me think about like the toll that it has to take on him Mm -hmm. and like everyone who's working to try to ensure like the safety of migrants and to um and on the side especially of those who like have not made it and um trying to identify them Mm -hmm. it like 
the toll is like not just on the people who are um, having to right. go through the the actual process of getting to America, but like also on everyone else who are like providing services to them. Yeah, and going back to your or part of the question about how um, it falls on um, mm-hmm. Jason and mm-hmm. it shows the complete lack of infrastructure or anything surrounding being supportive of undocumented people in general. And I understand, you know, as a country, we don't support undocumented migrants and that's that's where we've chosen to be at this point. But, you know, it wasn't, wasn't on the police like a normal missing person or it wasn't, yeah. there wasn't and, really yeah. any of the normal human, like, I keep saying humanitarian, <laughs> but like there wasn't really any it of the normal steps. Yeah, yeah, the normal steps that we would take in, in the case of someone who's gone missing or into yeah. in the film they mention this for the other office that the databases they use don't have undocumented migrants in it so it makes their job so much harder in finding uh, relatives or anybody else who could help find this missing person or identify bodies mm-hmm. and so there's just really no way currently to help besides for people who go out of their way to do so which is just a shame Mm -hmm. to have people like you said having that toll of just that constant like I don't know where my family members are so yeah and to that point um they that office also mentioned that like all of their stuff they have to privately find funds for um because public funds aren't going towards undocumented migrants I think that just alludes to what we were just, um, what the topic of this specific segment of the episode is about, and that's about the unique position and responsibility of the people in southern states. Uh, Arizona, it's very close to the U.S.-Mexico border. Thus, as we saw in this documentary, this administrative office had a lot of cases that did involve undocumented migrants. And the fact that, you know, there hasn't been any really written processes or really any infrastructure given to undocumented migrants, that it's kind of been implied that only the people that kind of, that care are the ones that the toll falls on. That says a lot about the way that the South can improve politically and um morally and yeah so i think we see this weight on the southern states of the unique challenges with undocumented migrants when we just look at the like recent news with the um, texas and florida choosing to send migrants up to the northern states because they don't have people coming in through the borders like we should just help spread the load out right (laughs) so um i think that highlights how it is really an ongoing problem that the South only faces and... You bring up some really interesting points. And um, Mm -hmm. with that, because we're talking a lot about the connection to the South, to these migrant migrant crises, um, you know, as we watched this documentary, we we were able to draw a lot of connections between the stories of migrants in South America and Southern culture. And we believe these are very important connections to feature in this episode because they aren't talked enough about. So the first one is religion. So I I think I can just open up there. What similarities do you see between how the migrants in the documentary treated religion and how Southern culture in general treats religion? Well, 
I think in both the Southern culture and in the interactions between migrants, we see a um, very heavy reliance on their religion um, as something to keep you going and to motivate you and to find comfort in, which is, you know, like one of the big um, reasons that people go to religions is to have, you know, mm-hmm. that's something to connect with other people um, and to make sense of the world. And in both cultures, you see that really heavy connection and that heavy reliance, which I think really connects the two cultures more than a lot of people appreciate, especially since both are um, pretty heavily Christian um, Mm -hmm. cultures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And I had a philosophy professor say the other day that, you know, like religion, it's one of the things that we hold most dear mm-hmm. and close to us and so having the same religion or the same basis of conceptualizing your world as like another group of people or somebody that we treat as a different group of people especially in the U.S. with treating undocumented migrants differently is inherently hard to wrap our head around when mm-hmm. our values are um, so would, would so like stem right. from the same mm-hmm the same idea for me it makes me question if we have so many moral and religious connections what what characteristics are making people want to other these people right like why why do you not feel sympathy and connect with them why do you distance them from yourselves it's interesting because the south really prides itself on being a bible belt obviously like you know in consideration of other religions we're just talking about the general population it's just interesting how the south as a whole um you know if you're christian then you're conservative if you're conservative then um you you use terms like legal aliens or um, you know, just terminology like that. It's just, it's interesting how there's such a big disconnect between things that there shouldn't be a disconnect between. So, yeah, that's essentially the religion connection that we saw a lot. And then the second one was family and community. So we saw in the documentary that the migrants that were featured in the documentary, they, they had a very strong value of family. Even the ones that were independently traveling on the train they still they still sought a family through the people that they were traveling with and i mean you know the south it it as well prides itself on being very family centered and i was just wondering what's the importance of that connection like did you all see that connection as well and why do you think it's so important in both cultures well I mean, perhaps religion is one of the reasons Mm -hmm. Um, the similarities in religious values would, in my opinion, explain the similarities in valuing family and community. And so I think it really shows the connection um, that like a lot of these cultural um, aspects are intertwined and difficult to distinguish from each other um, and all the more like to the similarities between Southern and migrant cultures. When they got to the border of the US and Mexico, they were like looking at America and they were like, it's oh, so yeah. close. And they gave mm-hmm. that up to be with her children. Right. 
Right. And I think that's very telling, like, their priorities in that of not just, like, trying to do it and, like, trying to get our life just for themselves. That, like, they're, like, we're responsible for them. We should right. uh, go make sure they're taken care of. Yeah. And I think it emphasizes how important they deem it is to go to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Because, like, they're leaving something that's so very important behind to try and help their families indirectly through sending money or maybe having the Mm -hmm. kids come up later. So I think having that family background or importance in both cultures just would help Americans understand better why people do attempt to cross the border. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. and to connect with them. Like that's something that you... That's like a universal-ish experience of like loving your children and wanting to like make sure that you provide for them and um, give them the best life you can. Those are really good points. Yeah. Okay. So the next point I have is just about the role of women in in the documentary. We saw a female healthcare worker who assisted um, in essentially taking out the last beast pieces of shrapnel um, left in his wound and essentially helping it heal. We saw, um, you know, when they were in Mexico um, struggling to make a living with the visa, how his girlfriend took the time to care for his wound by massaging it with um, with cream that, that was necessary for the wound. So how would you all draw a connection between um, the role of woman and essentially supporting and supporting Gustavo in the documentary and the role that women play in in Southern society. Well, I would say this may not be necessarily the most flattering um, portrayal Mm -hmm. of either society, but I I definitely think it is telling of like um, women supposed to be um, in supporting roles for the man that they're with and that's not just limited to Gustavo and his girlfriend like that is so common in southern culture and I think a lot of other cultures as well um but I think it's definitely a connection that you can see and I think that that's not only like very common in migrant um cultures but definitely in southern as well so very deep connection on that one I think So, uh, this kind of alludes back to what we mentioned in the beginning of the episode, but um, when we told Gustavo's story, we mentioned the conference where the congressmen uh, and um, other politicians kind of showed their accomplishment in uh, getting his humanitarian visa and then kind of just letting him go to be on his own um, after that. And... Just the way that conference was recorded, like we mentioned, how he wasn't really given a voice during the conference, how he was just kind of, you know, spoken for. How Do, do y'all see any similarities between Southern politics, Southern media, and maybe how that, um, obviously, the, the conference occurred in Mexico with Mexican politicians. Do you, see, do you see any similarities? And what significance could those similarities hold? between the two countries i see a lot of similarities in how the politicians handled it of um 
starting off with like supporting it and making sure that it um, happens, but then taking it as a win for themselves um, and as something for them to tout as a, an accomplishment of their own um, rather than like the success um, and the hope for the person that they helped. I also see the similarity like in how the media handled it of jumping on it and making it a story that the politicians couldn't ignore before forgetting about him as soon as he got his visa um, and like all of the attention that he had gained um, was suddenly lost when he needed it to get a job and to start making a stable um, foundation for life in Mexico. Even with a disability um, and obviously no support on that end. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree and I think with southern politics though it's more of an opposite kind of effect whereas mm-hmm. they're using undocumented migrants and villainizing mm-hmm. them and then using that story to gain traction or mm-hmm. um, like if you can just think of some of the rhetoric that southern politicians have used in the past to get their point across about undocumented migrants being bad and then fueling mm-hmm. their oh like oh, we need to do this to keep them out. And then that would be something that would be favorable for people if they're struggling for work, you know, those ideas form and those policies get passed. Whereas in Mexico, it was beneficial to the congressmen to help Gustavo, whereas Mm -hmm. in cases in the U.S., it can be easier to, I guess, just villainize Mm -hmm. the migrants and then use that to gain their own political traction. Yeah. I think that's an amazing point. Just like I'm just thinking, like, you know, even though the purposes of Southern politics versus Mexican politics may be different, they all have an underlying theme of using migrants as political, like, you know, messages, figures. The loss of the identity of migrants Mm -hmm. that, like, it's talking about their individual stories, but it's not talking about them as individuals um they they like it is gustavo and they are touting it as gustavo uh, win for gustavo but it's not gustavo it's a general migrant and yeah no it i think that's maybe why they um you know talked about jason de leon's um leon's uh project is because he was very focused on making sure that the identity of each migrant shone through even if that identity the only thing that he had that could portray that identity was a book bag or shoes he he really like you know when he found those shoes he really looked for very specific details that could give him as much information about the specific story of that migrant and that was kind of, that was beautiful yeah. no i was going to say the same thing i think like it's tragic what he's doing and what he's um, sifting through, but I think it's a beautiful way to handle this crisis and this um, situation is to like find the person. Mm-hmm. And um, that was something he was saying uh, about the person with the um, alien identification yeah. card. <laughs> and he was like, I think this must have been a very funny person. Area 51. Yeah. So I I just thought that that was such a nice way to approach working with these items that have been left behind. I think that it's really positive that the South is doing this. Like, 
obviously we've gone through a lot of the these are the struggles these are how southern politicians could and should be doing better but the fact of the matter is that there are still a lot of people in the south that are working hard mm-hmm. to protect these migrants to find their families and they're working mm-hmm. hard through all of um, the grief that we mentioned they must be um, dealing with and that they despite all of that piling up on them and all those responsibilities and mm-hmm. all that weighing them down they are choosing to keep going they're choosing to keep doing their best to help these people and i think that that's really such a beautiful moment for humanity that like despite them having politicians that won't help them mm-hmm. that they can't get funding from that they are doing everything in their power to keep going and to keep fighting for these people um and for their safety and for their family right yeah and i mean we saw like you know like we mentioned fun fundamental values such as religion family the role of woman every person that has been you know um featured in this documentary one and you know organizations such as lutheran services for example has been working to protect these values and you know it's it's clear that the values are are really intricately um placed there because they have so many connections to the communities of migrants that you can truly create a um connection there that will help support migrants and that's mm-hmm. something that you know we'll be featuring more organizations that do this but it's clear that you know there's a lot of opportunity there yeah. and yeah also i want to say that i think it's it's a lot easier to do things to help mm-hmm. um these migrants in places where like it is like generally more accepting but like to keep going despite mm-hmm. um other people around you's views and um despite things going against you to keep going makes your work all that more important and all that more valuable yeah so many people in the south have done such a good job of assuming the role and i don't think um the deficits or issues that we've faced in undocumented migrant treatment or human rights should be should mm-hmm. overshadow the work mm-hmm. that so many people have done in that area right um, because like emily was saying like without them it just it would be like their situation would be like 10 times worse. exactly so mm-hmm. we have a lot of great folks <laughs> in the south that are making real change So as we are kind of wrapping up this episode, we were thinking through what we've already talked about, and we realized that we, our immediate response was to take a hypercritical view of the South um, in regards to migrants. And we thought that this is um, important to point out and interesting to point out um, in that it kind of represents a broader um, social view of the South and it in particular in relation to migrants Um, and we wanted to make sure to point out that this is not wholly representative of the South um, or the people within it and that there are people who are um, working hard to do positive things 
for migrants. That was Anusha, Emily, and myself, Diana, discussing the documentary Border South and how it relates to our season speaking about Southern culture. If you liked this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review us in the comments below. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email us at seekingrefugepodcast at gmail.com or at our University of South Carolina email address, sosrpa at mailbox.sc.edu. You can find us on social media at Refuge Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This show is produced by undergraduate students at the University of South Carolina. Your hosts for this week were Anusha Ghosh, Emily Jensen, and Diana Clark. This episode was edited by Diana Clark. Our executive producers are Jackie Burnett and Isha Hegde. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next one.